when I first became a believer and was going to church and started to get into reading my Bible, I completely neglected the Psalms. It wasn't something, I, I just wasn't that interested. And I think it had something to do with the fact that I, I was told that the Psalms were Hebrew poetry. And I thought, I'm not interested in Hebrew poetry. And boy, was I missing out because I had a pastor that ended up preaching through the 119th Psalm. And it was weeks and weeks and weeks. I think it was Sunday evenings. And uh, people would line up for the tapes back during the cassette tape ministry days and get copies of the message. <clears throat> and uh, boy, that was, uh, was eye-opening. And uh, I've been endeared towards the 119th Psalm ever since ever since then, but um, so uh, if you're not familiar with the psalm itself, it's laid out, the way it's laid out, and I know Pastor Michael covered this um, two weeks ago, it's, it's in a format called an acrostic, and so there are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet, and um, there are 22 stanzas were sections of this psalm, the longest psalm in the, in the Psalter, 176 verses, 22 letters. Each letter, and they go in a, in a, uh, a consecutive fashion. So if we were thinking of the English alphabet, the first eight verses would be the letter A, and each word in English for those eight verses, the very first word would begin with the letter A. And then beginning in verse 9 through uh, 16, it would be the letter B, the first word of each verse from 9 th through 16 would begin with the letter B. And it would continue that way for 22 letters. And that's the way in which this is constructed. The 22 Hebrew uh, letters of the Hebrew alphabet, the first word beginning with the same letter uh, for all eight verses. And I say that because I don't want you to accuse me of, of being completely unorthodox because if you notice, we, uh, we are using two separate stanzas or two separate sections and they are not consecutive. And in fact, the first section we're gonna read are verses 81 through 88. So we're going to read verses 81 through 88 and then go backwards, depending upon the, the time we're allotted for the evening. And the reason I say don't accuse me of being completely unorthodox is be, because it's poetry, because it's written the way it is, the author, the psalmist, we're not quite sure who it is, the psalmist um, is able to have thoughts contained in verses and thoughts contained in stanzas. And it's not like reading a story. So it's not like reading the middle of a book and then going back to the beginning of a book. So that's why it's okay that we begin with uh, verse 81 and go to 88 and then go backwards to verse 41 to verse 48. Is everybody okay with that? Yes. Excellent. So... Let's go ahead and uh, well, let, me, let me talk about the author real quick. We do not know who it is. Uh, some people assume it's David. Some people think it might be even Daniel. 
Some people think it, it, it's possibly Ezra. Uh, some people think it, it might be a Shadrach, Meshach, or Abednego. Um, and I'm not sure, and I'm not a betting man, but if I was, I would probably think it was Ezra, not David, because the Psalms that David wrote have David's name, and this one doesn't. So for that reason alone, doesn't mean he, it doesn't mean he isn't, but that's the only reason I think that he probably isn't. Um, so what I want to do tonight, and I'm going to open with prayer in a second, is I want us to really just uh, absorb the, the, the words that we're going to be reading. I want us to think about them. Seven times in this psalm, the psalmist talks about meditating and meditating upon God's word, meditating upon his precepts, meditating upon his statutes, his commandments, his law, etc. All words that are, are synonymous for God's word. So I want us to do that tonight. I want us to meditate upon his word. We're going to be talking about um, affliction and God's mercy. There's not a person in this room that isn't familiar with affliction to some degree. And it's, and it's the way in which we respond to that affliction um, that determines a lot. So we will be taking our time going through uh, these portions of scripture. And it is my prayer, and let's go ahead and pray, that God impacts our hearts and our minds in a very particular way. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word, Lord. I thank you for this, these past few days I've had to mull over these verses and really consider it. It's had a huge impact on me, Lord. Um, and I just pray that you will work that way this evening amongst the body here, Lord. I'm so thankful for them. And I just pray that your word goes out and touches each heart and each mind. Lord, we live in uh, precarious times. We've all experienced affliction in some form or fashion, and it does seem like we will all be experiencing even greater affliction in a similar way in perhaps the very near future. And so, Lord, it's the way in which we respond to that affliction. Do we respond in faith, or do we respond opposed to faith. Lord, may we be people that respond in faith and remain faithful to you. And we thank you for this writer, the psalmist here, Lord. Truly amazing, truly remarkable what he put on, on uh, at the time would have been a scroll. But it is remarkable. We thank you for this time. In Christ's name we ask, amen. So I'm beginning at verse 81, our psalmist. This is, this, is, this is what I was mulling over when I was thinking I was going to simply teach on God's mercy in verses 41 to 48. And I just kept being reminded there are over 70 times in this psalm our author talks about his affliction. 
And so verses 41 to 48 didn't seem to resonate as deeply with me as they did when I considered this psalmist's affliction. Now the Psalter is filled with several different types of psalms. There are what are called royal psalms. Uh, there are uh, songs of lament. Um, there are uh, uh, psalms of encouragement. Well, this particular psalm, while not categorized as a psalm of lament, has much lament in it. And so this portion of scripture gives us a brief glimpse on where he was uh, in his uh, mindset and his plea to God. So we read, my soul longs for your salvation. My soul longs for your salvation. And in this regard, salvation He's talking about deliverance. He's not talking about salvation as in eternal destiny, as we would think of it. He's talking about in a temporal, in a temporal uh, uh, means. He says, I hope in your word. So he wants deliverance, but in the meantime, he's going to place his hope in God's word. My eyes long for your promise. He is waiting. He is expecting. He is hoping. My eyes long for your promise. He's appealing to God's nature. God's promises are rooted in who God is, and his promises never fail. So his eyes long for the Lord's promise. I ask, when will you comfort me? This man is truly afflicted and truly at what we might think is wit, his wit's end. He doesn't say, will you comfort me? He says, when? When will you comfort me? He is in pain. He says, for I have become like a wineskin in the smoke. Now, I, me and my wife were in Tennessee a few weeks ago, and they have some unique sayings down there. <laughs> but becoming like a wineskin in the smoke is not one of them. This is a unique saying. I don't think it's found anywhere else in Scripture. But if you think about what smoke does to your clothes, to your hair, to a tri-tip, it permeates. And smoke that permeates a wineskin not only dries it out, it makes the wineskin useless and it ruins the wine. Our author here says he has become useless. He has become like a wineskin in the smoke. Yet, he remains true. I have not forgotten your statutes. I have not forgotten your statutes. And when I mentioned earlier about us, I wanting, wanting us to really think about and contemplate not just what this author is dealing with or dealt with as he pens this, as he writes this, but you yourself, if you're in a situation that you would consider to be 
uh, under affliction. And affliction, by the way, can be any type of pain, physical, emotional, psychological. Any type of discomfort or pain is affliction. So think on our author's words and think of them as your words. For I have become like a wineskin in the smoke, yet I have not forgotten your statutes. How long must your servant endure? How much longer, Lord? How much longer do I need to cry out to you before you relieve me of this immense affliction? When will you judge those who persecute me? Now here in, in America, we've had the great fortune of um, not having to deal with much uh, persecution as far as it goes, uh, being a follower of Christ and a Bible-believing Christian. However, that doesn't mean that that won't happen. And it doesn't mean that it doesn't happen all over the world. I know that uh, I get certain emails from certain ministries. There are places all over this globe where Christians suffer immensely. They're under tremendous affliction. And I can just imagine them thinking, how long must we endure, Lord? When will you judge those who persecute me? Every single day that that sun comes up and goes down, there are Christians around the globe that are praying in this manner. When will you judge those who persecute me? The author goes on to say, the insolent have dug pitfalls for me. The insolent are the disobedient, the proud. They've set a trap. They really have it out for our author. They've dug pitfalls for me. They do not live according to your law. They are lawless. All your commandments are sure. They persecute me with falsehood. Help me. Do you feel it? They persecute me with falsehood. Help me. Have you ever been in a situation where you had to say that to the Lord? Help me. I have. They have almost made an end of me on earth. Almost. His life has almost been taken. He's that close. But I have not forsaken your precepts. Wow. In your steadfast love, give me life that I may keep the testimonies of your mouth. Wow, that, that, he just turns the whole thought and goes back to who God's, God is and his character. It says, in your steadfast love, give me life that it may keep the testimonies of your mouth. He's now pleading with God and saying, I'm, I need to rely upon who you are so that I can keep your word. Be merciful to me. That's what this Steadfast love means 
steadfast love or loving kindness. That is what it means for, um, that's a display of God's mercy. His steadfast love or his loving kindnesses are his mercy. So he's pleading for God's mercy to give him life that he may keep the testimonies of God's mouth, his word. That's what he's thinking about. He doesn't want to be disobedient. He wants to remain true and faithful to God's word in the midst of affliction. And he's asking, he's, he's crying out for God's mercy. Bring your mercy upon me, Lord. God, please intervene. So I, I began, when I was thinking about this, I thought, well, wh what was the cause of this, this affliction? What was the cause of his persecution? What was the cause of the lies that were being spread, the, uh, the, the pits that were being dug, the traps that were being set, the cords that were cut to bind him? So it made me think about, well, what are the causes of affliction overall? And so I, I want to transition a little bit and talk about what God's word says about affliction and some of its causes. Number one, some of uh, the causes of affliction are simply the fact that we live in a fallen world, that our world is subject to uh, disease and pain and misery and rejection and car accidents and tornadoes and things like that. So we live in a fallen world. And so simply based on that fact, we have affliction. I would just say that uh, living in the natural world. Um, another cause would be our adversary, would be Satan. First Peter chapter five, verse eight. He says that our adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Satan can be a cause of our affliction. Sin, consequences. Galatians chapter 6 says, The one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. So our own corruption, our own sin, can bring about our own affliction. Whatever man sows, therefore also he shall reap. Some of our affliction can be caused, or some of uh, the affliction as uh, highlighted in Scripture is God's judgment. And God's judgment was brought upon nations and individuals. In Ezekiel, he says, I poured out my wrath upon them for the blood they had shed. God pours out his wrath. God brings affliction. We can bring affliction because of sin. We can experience and suffer affliction simply because we live in the natural world. God brings affliction because of his wrath. Some uh, uh, 
Affliction can be brought upon by those who want to persecute us for our beliefs, much like the psalmist himself. Do not be surprised, in 1 John chapter 3, do not be surprised that the world hates you. A Christ follower, a Christ lover, do not be surprised that the world hates you. All who desire to live a godly life, Paul says in 2 Timothy, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Do you desire to live a godly life? You will be persecuted. We might experience affliction as a means for develop, God wanting us to develop our character, our endurance. James chapter 1, for you know that the testing of your faith produces what? Steadfastness. 1 Peter 4, 12 through 13. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. As though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator, our God, while doing good. So, interestingly, what does our psalmist, what does he attribute his affliction to? Let's see, he says in uh, verse 75, I know, O Lord, that your rules are righteous and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. Our psalmist is attributing his affliction to the God that he pleads for to relieve his affliction. I know, O Lord, that your rules are righteous and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. <clears throat> Verse 107. I am severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. Look on my affliction and deliver me, for I do not forget your law. So he attributes his affliction um, to God's divine purposes. And here's, listen to this. This is super interesting. Listen to the result of, of the fact. Listen to the result that, our, that the psalmist claims due to the affliction that is brought about by God. He says in verse 67, before I was afflicted, I went astray. Before he was afflicted, he went astray. But now, but now because of the affliction, I keep your word. How many of us can say that? A lot of us can say before the affliction we went astray, right? 
But now that I'm under affliction, I keep your word. He says in, uh, in verse 71, it is good for me that I was afflicted. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. There was a purpose. It, his affliction drove him to the word, that I might learn your statutes. He says, this is my comfort, in verse 50, this is my comfort in my affliction, that your promise gives me life. Could you say that in your affliction? That your promise gives me life? Truly remarkable. Now what he does is he attributes uh, God's word uh, to upholding him. So he attributes his affliction to God. He says the affliction is good. The affliction brought about a certain result. It drove him to the word. And in 92, he says, if, in verse 92, if your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. Let me ask you, how have you responded to the times in your life where you've been afflicted? Has it driven you to the word? Have you thanked God for the affliction, for the result it has brought about? Something to think about. And what does our, what does the psalmist what is his ultimate response? He certainly wants to be relieved of his affliction. We read it, didn't we? How long must your servant endure? When will you judge those who persecute me? So let's go back to verse 41. And we're going to see the continuation of the psalmist's plea for God's mercy. And this is where I want the rest of the evening to focus is on um, our response, like the psalmist's response to those times in our lives where maybe we feel God is not working or we've been let down. We're afflicted either psychologically, emotionally, physically, and we're, we're pleading with God to remind us of his love and do so by being merciful. That last verse in the first section we read, verse 88 said, in your steadfast love, in your mercy, give me life that I may keep the testimonies of your mouth. Verse 41, let your steadfast love, let your mercy come to me, O Lord. Don't hold it back. Let your steadfast love come to me, O Lord. Your salvation according to your promise. Again, an appeal to God's character. Now let me say something about mercy. I think sometimes we think of mercy 
as the, as the opposite attribute of justice. So when we think of justice, we think of, um, we think of uh, God maybe in a stern fashion. We think of God meeting out or, or punishing or making sure that, um, that justice is served and to do so must uphold the law. And that mercy is simply withholding justice. And see, for you and I, that's about as, as good as it gets when we're being merciful. So if we're, if we're being merciful, we are withholding, and most of the times I think it would be with, maybe with our children, we are withholding uh, punishment. Now the thing about mercy with God, mercy, God has what uh, theologians would, would call uh, communicable attributes and incommunicable. A communicable attribute is an attribute that he shares with us. There is something about us that is similar to him in that regard. One of those communicable attributes is love. The Bible says that God is love. We, get to, we also know how to love and receive love. Another communicable attribute would be grace. One of them would be mercy. Now here's the point I'm getting at. Mercy is not the opposite of justice. In fact, without justice, there would be no such thing. See, God's justice is rooted in the fact that his, uh, his moral laws rooted in his character are, ab- are absolute. And so if his moral laws are unchanging and absolute, then any violation of those requires him to punish. When a law is broken, he must punish. If he is just and doesn't punish, then he's not just. Okay? So if he is just and must punish... Where does mercy come in? The beautiful thing about mercy is the fact that justice wasn't suspended. Justice still occurred, which allows him to display mercy towards us because the justice that his character, his holiness demands happened at the cross. So it's because the fact that Jesus died on the cross and took the punishment that his justice demands, it allows him to be merciful without violating his character. Does that make sense? God is merciful because he's loving, but he's also merciful because he's just. Because mercy isn't mercy unless you deserve punishment. And so withholding the punishment is his mercy, yet somebody else paid the price for it. Jesus Christ. So it's with that, when we look at the psalmist in verse 41, and he says, 
Let your mercy come to me, O Lord. Your salvation according to your promise. Again, there's that salvation, which is deliverance. Then shall I have an answer for him who taunts me. Wow, is that not interesting? He wants mercy. He wants deliverance. Because he wants to be able to defend his trust in the Lord by answering his accusers and his persecutors with the way in which God delivered him. He's going to give evidence for who God is. Let your steadfast love or mercy come to me, your salvation come to me according to your promise. Then, and only then, shall I have an answer for him who taunts me. For I trust your word. I'm going to turn to First Peter. First Peter chapter 3, verse, beginning of verse 8. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil. The psalmist wasn't looking to repay evil for evil. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called. Wow. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. Jumping over to verse, down to verse 13. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, so even if you suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ. In your hearts, honor Christ, the Lord, as holy, always being prepared to make a defense. So even though you're going to suffer, for Christ's sake, be prepared to give an answer, be prepared to give a defense to those who persecute you or to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Our psalmist here says, Then shall I have an answer for him who taunts me, for I trust your word. He's pleading for God's mercy. And he goes on in verse 33 and he says, uh, 43, and he says, And take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth. Please don't remove the opportunities to share your word. Don't take the opportunities away. Don't remove your word utterly from my mouth. For my hope is in your rules. I will keep your law continually forever and ever. And I shall walk in a wide place. Some of your versions might say you walk in liberty. Walk in a wide place. Walk freely. 
You've been absolved. You can walk freely. You're not hiding. You can walk in liberty. I thought of Proverbs. Proverbs 18, when I was thinking of this, you shall walk in an open place, a wide place. You shall walk in a way in which you are known. Proverbs 18, one says, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. Here, the psalmist, he's not seeking his own desire. He's seeking to walk out in the open in liberty. Uh, being part of uh, leadership at church, sometimes we deal with um, issues with, that are perhaps with uh, someone who's attending, and the pastors would attest to this, they, they deal with it more than any of us, but some, maybe somebody has to be confronted. Maybe they need to... Um, uh, follow the prescriptions in Matthew, I believe, chapter 18 for church discipline. And so uh, there's something about someone's lifestyle and they just want to uh, bring it to their attention and see if there's repentance. And so if there's a desire to continue to isolate and seek their own desire, they don't come back. They leave because they want to isolate so they can seek their own desire. And think about it. We do that. And that's why it's important as, as a family when we know we, to, to remain in touch with each other. Because when we get isolated, it seems that it's easier to go in the wrong direction. So here we want to uh, plead for God's mercy so that we will keep his law continually and that we can walk in liberty in wide places. And the psalmist says, for I've sought your precepts. I will also speak of your testimonies before kings. Who, who's he kidding? What's, we know the situation he's in. And he's saying, I'm going to speak before kings. Now for you and I, that simply may mean, Lord, would you give me the boldness to speak of your truth and your word and stand for your truth and your word with those around me and those who have influence over me. And I'm thinking of work. That's usually the, the case where somebody may have a position that's over you and makes decisions that deal with your uh, employment. He says, I'll speak of your testimonies before kings and shall not be put to shame. For I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. I will lift up my hands towards your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. I will lift up my hands towards your commandments. This isn't the lifting up of hands that we would think of in worship. Now, there is something to be said about posture and the way in which uh, we use our bodies. We can use our bodies in worship. And so in this, in this rendering, to lift your hands towards your commandments, which I love, is the idea of is, uh, receiving, being receptive, that you're receptive of God's uh, commandments because he loves them. 
And he says, I will meditate on your statutes. So he pleads for mercy, and he's thinking of those who persecute him. He continues to um, talk about his love for God's word, God's statutes, his precepts. He's receptive. He wants to never, ever not be faithful to God's word. So I want to read a a couple passages that kind of... um, Tie this all together, and then we'll close in prayer. I'm going to turn to Romans chapter 3. Beginning in verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood whom God put forward as that which satisfies his wrath that's what propitiation means God put his son forward to suffer the consequences to satisfy, to be a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. So all the sins that took place prior to the cross, there was an element of forbearance And that's the way in which God could display mercy at times, even though the cross, the sacrifice on the cross, hadn't occurred yet. Because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in our Lord Jesus. Romans 5, verse 9. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore, because we have been saved from the wrath of God, by the sacrifice, the propitiating sacrifice of of Christ who shed his blood. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 Verse 7, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, 
but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. So we do not lose heart, verse 16, though our outer self is wasting away, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Do any of you suffer an affliction? Are any of you afflicted? For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, No eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor heart has imagined. What God has prepared for those who love him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I I thank you for your word. May it be so that I could claim the same type of love for your word that the psalmist claims. Adherence to your law, your precepts, your statutes, your testimonies. Lord, I thank you so much. It is because of your mercy. It is because you sent your only begotten son. As a great display of your mercy. That we have an eternal future. So Lord, in our affliction, we do cry out and plead for your mercy. But yet we know that the ultimate answer has been paid by our, uh, our sinless, eternal Lord, Jesus Christ. And may we ever be mindful of that. And Lord, give us courage to speak your truth. Give us courage to walk in wide spaces. And may we ever be faithful to your word and to you. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.